0: Just a couple of words before I begin the sermon on the theme of the small groups this morning. One, I just want to put it on the table and articulate what I'm feeling anyways. It's probably better to just say it. It feels a little funny. I feel a little strange preaching on the joy and the blessing of small groups when so many intense and painful things are happening in the world right now and are are potentially escalating even as we gather here to speak, it's significant, and it almost feels, I don't know, like, like like the band playing as the Titanic sinks, or like fiddling while Rome burns to preach on small groups when so many significant things are happening in the world, and I just want to acknowledge that. I feel that, maybe you do as well, but this is what I believe, that God is sovereign over all things. We believe that, we profess that, and that God calls us to faithfulness, to faithfulness here today, now, and so we're called to pray for what's happening in the world. We're called to pray for leaders and for citizens and for countries. We're, we're, we're called to pray for peace. We're called to compassion. We're called to care about fellow humans and we're called to get involved in ways that we can. And beyond prayer, maybe, maybe the Lord will provide us for ways to serve and to bless people in other harder situations. But I know we're also called to faithfulness here today where we are. And so it's in the spirit of trusting in God's sovereignty And believing that we're called to be faithful today, that I, I I was going to change my sermon, but I'm going to go ahead and preach on small groups, uh, recognizing that what we do today here matters, uh, and trusting that God is sovereign. The other thing I want to mention is that I'm. Last week I preached on a a Thanksgiving theme. This morning on a small group theme. I just want to tell you I do intend, Lord willing, next week uh, to get back in the First Thessalonians and to finish that series that we started. And in fact. Um, The reason I I chose to preach through 1 Thessalonians, that is still coming up. A number of people in the Tough Topics series, if you remember that, ask about end times theology, what's called eschatology, and I thought, if I preach through 1 Thessalonians, when you get to the last part of 1 Thessalonians, it talks very much about end times. And so, uh, Lord willing, we'll get into some of that theology starting next week as we finish up that series. But this morning, small groups. Um, it It would not be an overstatement for me to say that small groups have been one of the biggest blessings in Marco and I's life together over the years. We joined our first small group as a couple in 2002. And our participation in small groups over the past two decades have been one of the primary ways that God has been at work in our lives. We're going to end up talking about a number of scripture passages this morning, but the one I want to open with and kind of orient my sermon around is Mark in chapter 10, short one, verses 28 to 31, familiar words. So uh, th- these words that Jesus has spoken have proven true over and over and over again in, in, in our lives. And so Mark in chapter 10, starting in verse 38. eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray and ask the Lord for his help in understanding and applying these words. Holy Father, thank you, thank you that you are our God and we are your people. Thank you that you have called us through a life of faithfulness and obedience. Thank you that you have called us to live out that life of faithfulness and obedience in the context of fellowship, family, brothers and sisters, one another. And so I pray now, Lord, this morning that you would help us to get a, a big vision, a high level of anticipation of the ways that you are at work in our midst when we gather in your name, whether that's in small groups or or just uh, impromptu gatherings of, in, of individuals who get together for fellowship and fun or whether that's Sunday morning when we gather as a, as a full group to worship your name. Help us to have high expectations of what you're about, what you're doing, how you're at work when we gather in your name. And we do pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, in the first group that Marco and I joined together, we were the youngest couple in the group. That was 20, 22 years ago. We were the youngest couple in the group. Of the other men in the group, two were firemen, three were police officers, and then another one worked in, for the Department of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Yes, that really is a thing in the States. And uh, there was those six guys and me. And it was in that context that as I developed friendships and accountability relationships with those guys, that I began to realize that it is the gospel that has the power to unite us in friendship and fellowship. It is the gospel that provides our common bond. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes us family. The gospel, as you know, that word means good news means any good news. It's just a a Greek word, uh, Evangelion, and it means good news. Anything could be good news. Uh, we're, We're pregnant is good news. I just got hired is good news. All of that is gospel, according to the Greek language. But when the Bible uses the word gospel, it's talking about a very specific piece of good news. When you read the word gospel in the Bible, which happens 97 times in the New Testament, it's referring to the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth and took on flesh and lived a perfect life of love and obedience and willingly died on the cross in our place to pay for our sins and rose again, defeating death, such that all who believe in his name and call on his name for the forgiveness of their sins will inherit the gift of eternal life and have their sins forgiven. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we read about when we read our Bibles. And that piece of good news is what unites us as family. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes us one. It's the bond that unites us. You might have nothing else in common with me. But the gospel, if we have the gospel in common, then we are united in Christ and we are family. I In that first small group I was in, I was very different than the other guys in that group. Me, a nerdy, quiet seminarian, in a room full of large, confident, armed cops and firefighters. I did not fit in socially. I did not fit in. But in theory, you should be able to take any six couples from any six different backgrounds or seasons of life, and if they are committed to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if they are regenerated and redeemed and walking in fellowship with Jesus, then they are going to have a great, edifying, God-glorifying small group and their relationships with one another are going to be deep and satisfying because it is the gospel that has the power to unite us and to fuel our fellowship. That's one of the big lessons that I learned from the first small group I was in. Just last month when I was home in Milwaukee, I, I, I met up with the leader of that group and had the chance to tell him, what a blessing that group was and continues to be 22 years later on me and my family. It's a it's a beautiful thing. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God, not the season of life that we're in, not demographics, not age, not ethnic background, not marital status or anything else. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that unites us and provides the platform and the purpose for our fellowship and for our friendship. Since then, Small groups have been a huge part of Marco and I's life together. I hate to think what our life and marriage and parenting would look like if we hadn't been invested in small groups over these past decades. Our marriage is stronger. You can ask, Marco will affirm these things. I didn't talk to her about this, but I know this is true. Our marriage is stronger. Our personal walk with Jesus and our devotion to Him is deeper. Our joy in the Lord is greater. Our parenting is more intentional and effective. We've had the chance to use our gifts to serve others and to build them up. And we have developed deep and lasting friendships all because we are invested and committed to small groups. God has used the means of small groups as one of the primary ways of getting those things done in our lives. Now here's the time for me to bring a little balance. Can God get those things done in people's lives in other ways? Absolutely, He can. Small groups are strategically designed to promote those things. We think it's a good and healthy way to invest yourself, but they're not the only way. And so if you're experiencing those things in other contexts, great, keep it up. But if you want to find a place that is strategically designed to help you and to promote those things, if you find that you need that help, small groups are a great way to experience that. That is why we are so committed to the value and importance of small groups, and it's also why we as a church collectively want to provide the opportunity for anyone who wants to, to be part of a small group. We want everyone to experience these blessings that are available to us through small groups. So I want to talk about the specifics. What really is the purpose of small groups? Why do they exist? I know that we're all busy people. Most of us are probably more busy than we would like to be. Many of us, frankly, are more busy than we should be. Small groups take time. They take investment. So we better make sure that the small groups have clearly defined biblical purpose, that it's worth it, that it's worth our valuable time and energy. So here they are, the three main purposes of small group, worship, fellowship, and mission. Worship, fellowship, and mission. Small groups exist. Here's our mandate. Small groups exist to encourage worship, to accommodate fellowship, and to empower mission. Small groups exist to encourage worship, to accommodate fellowship, and to empower mission. Okay? Let's let's talk about each of those three things in turn. Um, I know that you can can and should experience those three things outside of the context of small groups, Worship, fellowship, and mission should be happening all over the place in all kinds of contexts. But small groups is a unique setting to experience these three things. So, first, small groups exist to enable us to encounter God and to then respond to God. That's worship. Encountering the true and living God and responding appropriately to Him, that's worship. Small groups exist to encourage worship. That's not only the primary reason that small groups exist. That's the primary reason that you exist. You were made to worship God. You were made to bring glory to God's name. And ultimately, worshiping God is the only thing that fully and completely satisfies all of your deepest longings. Is what you were made for. Small groups exist to encourage and enable and empower and facilitate that. How does that happen? Well, it happens in a number of different ways. First and most obviously, in the passage we already read, Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst them. When we gather for small groups, we are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. So we can be confident that he is right there with us in a special way When we gather, that doesn't mean that he's not there when you're alone. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that he is present in a special way when, when his people gather in his name. And so we gather in Jesus' name, and God is right there with us. And we lift up our voices and sing praises to him, and he receives that. He's with us, and he receives that praise. And we open our Bibles to study them together, and he is with us, speaking his word of life into us and even in the words that we speak to one another when we gather for a small group and we engage in conversation and, and fellowship, God is in those words speaking grace to us. That's from Ephesians 4 and verse 29. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, and as fits the occasion, that your words may give grace to those who hear. Right? God is there with us using our words as a means of grace to build one another up when we gather in His name for small group. And also in our use of our spiritual gifts, blessing and serving one another, we encounter God as we do that. First Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That means that we all, to each, to each and every one, every single one of us has a spiritual gift, a gift given to us by the Holy Spirit, designed to be used to build up and bless others. And when we gather in small groups, we have the opportunity to exercise those gifts, and God is right there empowering that. All of that to say that small groups are specifically and strategically designed to create a context, a space where we can gather together and encounter and experience God, for real, the true and living God, together. We desire to encounter Him and to respond appropriately in worship. That is a thing that we were made to do, and and small groups are designed to help us fulfill that. That, I, I keep saying it. Small groups aren't the only place that we can experience that. I hope that you experience that in other contexts. I hope that you experience that every time you come here on a Sunday morning and attend a worship service, But small groups also are designed to facilitate and promote that encounter with God, that worshipful encounter. Uh, uh, let me just say, uh, before I move on to the second point, just, a, just another word of explanation about that last one, using our spiritual gifts. I trust that we all know what we're talking about when we say we get together and we pray and we sing and we study the Bible and we experience fellowship. We know what those things are. What does it mean to, to exercise our spiritual gifts in a small group? Well, We all have them, I already said that. Small groups create a context for us to use them, to exercise those gifts. The Bible lists a number of different spiritual gifts in five different passages of the Bible. There's Mm -hmm. spiritual gifts that are listed, Uh, whether that's hospitality or teaching or encouragement or prayer or helping or administration or serving or on and on the list goes. Every single one of us who's part of God's family has received a spiritual gift from God. Do you believe that? When he gives these gifts, it is with the expectation that we will use them. He doesn't give us gifts so that we can set them on the shelf and look at them. They're given to use. Sunday morning is a great place to do that, but we're a large church with a wide range of gifting. And it is not possible for everyone to do that when our whole faith family is gathered on a Sunday morning. But small groups provide a great place for us to be good stewards of the spiritual gifts that God has given us that we're actively using them to build others up to make to build others up to make sure that our gifts aren't getting rusty all right well that's the first reason that small groups exist is to facilitate and promote and empower worship purpose number 2 is that small groups exist in order to experience the gift of fellowship. Small groups create a context for us to walk out the Christian life together in deep and satisfying relationships with one another. There is no question that the Bible envisions the Christian life as a life lived out in community. Right When you repent and believe in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, not only do you get forgiven, but you get a new family. You become part of the people of God you don't get to have Jesus in isolation nobody does it is a package deal if you are a disciple of Jesus you get Jesus but you get the church too you become part of his bride part of his body he is the head and we are the body and one of the immediately immediate changes that the gospel makes is grammatical instead of i it's we instead of my it's our Instead of me, it's us. The Old Testament constantly refers to the people of God as a unit, collectively, a community of faith. The New Testament is packed with one another commands that require us to live out faith together in the context of community if we have any hope of obeying all of those one another commands. And maybe you think, all right, but how many of those are there? A few? A dozen? Actually, the phrase one another occurs over a hundred times in the New Testament. And oftentimes it occurs in the context of a command. For example, love one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Comfort one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Confess your sins to one another. Show hospitality. Show hospitality. one another on and on and on and on the list goes you cannot obey those commands on your own you can't at home in isolation you will not be able to obey all of these one another commands you can obey those commands here when we gather on Sunday morning and when we gather throughout the week for times of fellowship and for ministry and small groups are specifically designed to help us obey these commands Jesus himself in our passage already said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. What is he talking about there when he says all that? Well, Partly he's talking about the new community that's being uh, that that's created when we're united with one another in his blood by the gospel. He's saying that those bonds, the gospel, creates a new family in Christ. And the reality is, you and I cannot maintain the same depth of fellowship and intimacy with every single member of our local church body. It'd be nice, but we can't. right? That, that would perhaps be possible if we, this was a church of maybe 80, or at the most, maybe 100. But we're well beyond that here, and the reality is we cannot have the same level of intimacy and fellowship with every member of our faith family. It's, it's actually the same with earthly families. Uh, I, I have a large, extended earthly family, and probably you do too. Uh, my earthly extended family lives on three different continents and five different countries all over the place. And every three years... That's as, that's as often as we can make it happen. Every three years, we all descend upon Little Rock, Arkansas and have a family reunion. I love every single member of my family very much, very deeply. I love being together with them all every three years. But the, ra- the reality is, I cannot maintain the same level of intimacy with every member of my extended family the same way that I can with the members of my immediate family. This is not possible. It would be foolish and counterproductive for me to try. Small groups exist to function kind of like your immediate spiritual family, right? These are the people that you are fully invested in. These are the people that you are dug down deep with in your relationships. That doesn't mean you don't love the other people in our local church. It just means that you're purposefully investing your finite time and energy into the relationships with your immediate small group family. And then Sunday morning, when that happens, functions kind of like a big family reunion. All these, all these smaller families get together and, and, and celebrate. Our love for each other should be evident. Our fellowship with one another spills over into worship and is like a weekly family reunion. The Bible has absolutely no concept of a Christian who is independently marching through the Christian life on their own. And it is not possible that anyone could achieve and experience that kind of spiritually intimate relationship that the Bible encourages us simply by showing up once a week on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half and then leaving. And so small groups provide a context that enable us to live out the Christian life in community with other believers. It's in the context of these deep relationships that we really get to know one another which is way harder than it sounds to actually get to know one another, and we're able to help and encourage and support one another by meeting physical needs, by encouraging spiritual growth. Uh, Who in your life right now, ask yourself this, who in your life right now is actively encouraging and promoting your spiritual growth? I hope there's lots of people like that in your life. Who in your life right now is praying for you? Who in your life right now is asking you, questions. Who in your life knows where you're struggling, knows where you're discouraged, knows where you're thriving, is walking alongside of you? Do you have people like that in your life? Who in your life right now has a green light to actively point out evidences of grace in you, to say, I see God at work in your life in this way? you have people doing that? Who in your life has a green light to point out sin issues that they see in your life? I saw you do that, and it raised some questions. Can we talk about it? Things that maybe you don't see in yourself, but others do. Do you have people in your life like that right now? Mirrors exist because we can't see ourselves with our own eyes, right? I see part of myself, but I can't see all of myself with my own eyes. And so a mirror gives us the information about our physical appearance that we would otherwise lack. I'd be willing to bet most of us, at some point this morning, took a glance in a mirror. Biblical fellowship provides us with information about our spiritual health that we cannot see in ourselves, that we would miss otherwise. Small groups are designed to provide a context to experience that kind of deep, committed, supportive, safe, and loving relationship. Uh, Here's hopefully a memorable illustration. I hope this sticks. I was in Honduras maybe about 10 years ago. We were digging trenches for a water project, and one of the guys in the group, a guy named Larry, was digging uh, his trench, kind of just head down, hard at work, bent over a shovel, and uh, as he was working, a hand just pounded him in the back, just smack out of nowhere. And uh, that was surprising to him, a little disorienting and confusing. What had happened was a, a tarantula, had, had climbed up the back of his boot and up the back of his leg and was, was right in the square middle of his back as he was working. One of, the, one of the local Hondurans saw that and walked over and thumped it. Thankfully, somebody was watching his back, right? He couldn't see that tarantula on his back, but it was there. We need that from each other. We need that. Listen, if I have a tarantula on my back, I want you to thump it. (laughs) Do it gently, do it graciously. (laughs) But I want you to hit it. I want you to lovingly and gently help me out. I want you to help me see things that I can't see in order that I might grow and become a better and more faithful servant of Jesus Christ. That's a goal. I can't do that on my own. And And I can't have... Whatever number our, our church is, I, 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 won't, I won't hazard a guess, but it's a lot. I don't need everybody smacking my back. <laughs> I need a group of people that know me, that love me, that I trust, that I built a relationship with, that can thump those tarantulas that they see in my life. And you know what? You need that too. You do. All right, worship, fellowship. The third purpose of small groups is mission. Mission. Small groups empower us to reach out th- to others. Small groups are not all about us. Nothing in life is all about us. There's a tendency to think that things are about us, but they're not. And so, making the third purpose of small groups mission helps us to not be so inwardly focused that we believe the lie that it's all about us, but we look up and out and realize we exist to love and bless others as well. And so, it would be a mistake, if you're you're not in a small group and now you're starting to think about it, it would be a mistake to... Ask the, in order to answer that question, to ask yourself, "What can I get out of a small group? What's in it for me? What, what, what's, what's the potential payoff for me?" Those, those are the wrong questions. It's better to ask yourself, What can I give to a small group? What do I have to offer a small group? How might God be willing to use me to be a blessing on others through? A small group, But then collectively, the small group, as a group, needs to ask not what's in it for us, uh, how, can we, how can we just bless one another, although that will happen, but how can God use our group to reach out and bless others? Small groups are not about us. Ultimately, small groups are about God and His glory and walking in a manner worthy of the calling that He's given us in order that we might glorify His name. Everything is for that purpose. And an essential part of that calling to small groups is is a calling to reach out with the message of the gospel and to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ. I read a good quote from Lilius Trotter this week that illustrates what I'm talking about. She wrote, A flower that stops short of its flowering misses its purpose. We were created for more than our own spiritual development. Reproduction. Not mere development. That is the goal of matured being. Reproduction in the lives of others. That's what we're created for. We were not created just for our own personal spiritual development. As important as that is, we were created for reproduction. Small groups create a good context to do that. Jesus said, go, go, go and make disciples of all the nation. He says, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. He said, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do it unto me. Small groups create a wonderful context for us to live that out. I think we can all agree that serving others and telling them about Jesus is hard sometimes. It's a whole lot easier when you do it together. There's something about stepping out in faith together, being brave together, that builds everyone's faith and that builds everyone's boldness that you want to be able to do on your own so we don't want small groups that are totally ingrown and in focused because we want to engage the world with the gospel that is our commission with the savior from the savior that might look like maybe you would coordinate a, a monthly or a quarterly service project with your group maybe that would take the form of praying for different countries every time your group meets Maybe that would mean having a neighborhood barbecue and inviting people from the neighborhood and people from your small group to come and get together. Maybe that would take the form of everyone in your group saving their vacation time for a year and then your group together going on a missions trip. We had a group do that in my last church and one of the families who went on that short-term trip ended up now they're full-time missionaries overseas in Albania. So those those are the three main purposes for which Small groups exist. They exist for worship. They exist for fellowship. They exist for mission. Can we do those things in other contexts? Yes, we can. You've heard me say that a number of times this morning. Yes, we can and we should. Not everybody needs to join a small group. There is no biblical mandate that says you must join a small group. And since there is no biblical mandate that says that, we can't say that. We should not say that. But what we are saying is that small groups are good healthy, useful places whereby we can live out these mandates that are in the Bible. If you are currently experiencing the fullness of God's blessing for you in these areas right now, and you're not in a small group, great, keep it up then. Keep doing what you're doing. But for the rest of us, small groups provide this unique, intimate, intentional, relational setting to live these things out. And so I, th- I'm done now and I just want to say for those of you who are considering or think maybe well, I'm not in a small group but I would like to or I think the Lord is leading me to join a small group, uh, the Discipleship Ministries does have intentions to launch a number of new groups soon and so if you'd like your name put on that list, talk to John Wasink, or you can talk to myself and we'll put get you on that list. So I invite the worship team to come up at this point and I'm going to offer a prayer to the Lord. Holy Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the gift of worship. You, you, you created us in your image, and you created us to worship you uh, in spirit and in truth. We thank you for that calling, and we pray that um, you, you would empower and enable us to engage in that kind of worship in our small groups. We thank you for the gift of fellowship and friendship. We thank you that you call us to live out the Christian life together in unity, And in fellowship with one another. And we pray that you would bless the relationships and the fellowship that happens in our small groups. And we thank you for mission. We thank you that you've called us to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And we thank you that small groups together can engage in that. And we pray that you would bless the efforts that outreach and ministry and service that our small groups engage in. Thank you, Lord, for Ebenezer. Thank you for the ways that you're at work in our midst. Thank you for a new ministry season and for all of the great things that you're going to do. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.